You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. What a wonderful truth that Christ is the source of all life. It is he who created us and it's he who sustains us and everything is credited to him. Every Sunday, uh, when we have a flower and a little lamb here, that makes me smile because I just know a family has been blessed with a new addition to their home. And so uh, Colin and Sheila, we are so uh, happy for you and we're grateful that we can uh, invite Annalise into our church family as well. And I am sure that most people would not argue with the fact that babies are beautiful and they get more beautiful the closer they are related to you. So for me... These are the three most beautiful girls in the world. And uh, these are my nieces. This is uh, Mariah, Jana, and Keely. And I have made it a goal that uh, as long as I'm able to be in the same city with them, I want to make good memories with them. And my sister's been very kind to me. And since I could get them into a car seat on their birthdays, I'd take them out of school for the day, and I'd spend the day with them. They can't do that in high school anymore, but it worked through elementary and all that. And so I've made some really good memories with them, and I I love them very much. Mariah is now turning 19, Jana just turned 17, and Keely last week had her 15th birthday. And I said, girls, you guys are you're just growing up so quick. I want to take another picture of you because, you know, time passes and then you're in your 40s or whatever, right? So, so let me take another picture of you. And, and in this picture, I think you'll see Keely, her, her, her teenage attitude is coming out a little bit. And uh, there they are. Ah, isn't that amazing? You know what? I don't know what it is, but they don't seem a day older to me. They still just seem like my little nieces. And, and, uh, you know, we laugh at this, but if this was true, if this picture was her at 19, 17, and 15, you'd say, Doug, something's wrong. They've got to go see a doctor. That's not natural. They've got to grow up. And, And that's really how we're approaching the passage today. Paul is looking at the church and saying, you are beautiful infants, but man, you should be grown up by now. You're still babies. That's not right. So let's talk about it. So if you can turn your Bibles open to Ephesians 4, we're going to be reading uh, verses 14 and 16 together. If you're looking at the Bible in the pew, it's page 828. And so again, that's Ephesians 4, verses 14 to 16. And this is a continuation of what Pastor Terry started two weeks ago and and then Kevin talked about last week. It's about unity in the body of Christ. So if you stand with me, uh, we will follow this along together. Then, that means after we have uh, achieved maturity in the fullness of Christ, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. and Please be seated. So what I want to stress as we get into the passage today that infancy is in fact very beautiful. There's no way that you can enter into a relationship without Christ without becoming like a child. This is what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 18. He says, I assure you that unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. There are many positive qualities of children. They, they are trusting. They are dependent. They're joyful. 
There's things like that that need to be at the core of our relationship with God. And, and primarily that dependence and that hunger, relying on someone else for life. And this is what first, and Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, that like newborn babies, we should crave pure spiritual milk so that by it we can grow up in our salvation. You know when a baby's hungry. That's not a surprise. A baby cries. It needs to be fed. Well, we as baby Christians, as infant Christians, are told to cry out for God, for the milk of the gospel, so that he can grow us into maturity. But that growth needs to happen, and if it doesn't happen, then something's wrong. There's a danger that we can be in perpetual infancy. We say, I, I like being an infant. There's, it's, I'm taken care of. I don't, there's nothing else I need to do. And no, there, there's a problem there. Not only should you like milk, you should get an appetite for meat. And so the writer of Hebrews says that anyone who still lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with teachings about righteousness. So one of the signs of infancy is that we, we don't yet know really what it means to live a holy life for God. We, we've understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've understand that he gives us new life, that we can be spending eternity with him. But we haven't yet grown in wisdom to understand about what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to live in the Holy Spirit? And we need to be taught about that. We need to be matured in that. But solid food, this is what verse 14 says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have been trained, who have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we need to get to a place where we desire solid food. We need to be at a place where we're saying, Lord, I want to be so immersed in your scripture. I want to know you so well that I start seeing life like you do. I need your wisdom, not man's wisdom. Please, Lord, grow me. Give me solid food. Why? Because I need to be trained. I need to learn to make decisions where I choose you over sin, where I want to live righteous and I don't want to live what just feels like pleasure for a while. Lord, I need you. And there's some choices I need to make. There's effort that I make to mature. I don't cause my maturity, but I make effort to move in that direction. It's God who gives the growth, but we have to participate in that. And that's the difference between being an infant that just receives and being mature where we're contributing and we're growing in our faith and we're learning about righteousness. Part of the problem is that we don't have wisdom. That's what infants are. Infants don't have wisdom yet. And so the Bible says that if anyone lacks wisdom, that he should ask God for it because God gives generously. He doesn't criticize when you ask. And when you ask, he will give it to you. But... Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But when we ask for it, we have to be sure we don't doubt. And I'm going to get back to that right away. So let's look at what, what Paul says in Ephesians 14. He says that there are dangers of being an infant. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. There's danger when we're infants that we don't know yet how to discern what's really of God and what's not of God. What is just a Bible verse used and out of context and what's something that this is, this is what Scripture is saying throughout Scripture, the whole counsel of God, and relying on the Holy Spirit to discern when it's proper to live out that truth and how I should live out that truth. So this is where we're going to get into the book of James, and this is again where they're saying if, if you need wisdom, ask God. He will give it to you. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. 
that person, that person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. When we're infants, we don't yet know exactly when we get into tough situations how to trust God because we haven't been through those kind of situations. And God says, when you go through these things, you need to start learning, be trained that God is always reliable. And when you think that he doesn't have something to give you, he does when you ask him. And he might not give you the full picture. He's probably going to give you the next step. And after that, it could be dark. Are you willing to trust his wisdom to take the step that you know rather than just to stay back and say, wait, Lord, I'm going to wait until you show me more because that's not enough for me. No, we need to ask God and not doubt. He will give us the wisdom we need when we need him. We need to ask him in faith for that. So that's what part of maturing looks like, without doubt. And then it says... That an indecisive man, this is uh, James 1, verse 8, an indecisive man is an unstable in all his ways. When we're in our infancy, it's harder to make choices because we're not sure yet. We're not, we haven't been discerning the voice of God. And so now we're learning what does it mean to follow God in everything, to walk as the Lord would want us to walk. So there's troubles as infants that we have inwardly. We are maybe unstable, indecisive. Those are some of the, the dangers of infancy. But as we mature, we also realize that there's dangers outside of us. There's dangers. There's people who hate Christ, who hate truth, and they want to get us off track of following Jesus. They will teach things that sound like truth but aren't. The saying would be wolves in sheep's clothing. And this is what uh, Paul is referring to. This is the New Living Translation of the last part of verse 14. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. One of the dangers for us is that there are people who are actively going against God. There's a lot of people who, are, God's not on their radar, they're just living life. But there's other people who are actively trying to work against the Lord. And we need to be aware of that. And what we need to be aware of is that if I'm not maturing and if I'm not allowing God to change my thought life so that it, it reflects His that I'm going to start looking for teachers who tell me what I want to hear. This is, this is how I'd like to understand things. So I find a teacher who takes a scripture and makes it appropriate for me instead of who preaches the whole counsel of God. That's a real danger. The Bible says in the end days that we will look for people who tickle our ears. Again, who do that. They just tell us what we want to hear and they don't tell us truthfully what scripture is saying about Jesus Christ and how he wants us to live in his Holy Spirit. So that's a danger of infancy. We have not yet been able to develop that level of discernment. And we need to grow into maturity. Hebrews 13, 7-9 says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You know, in our day and age, we have the blessing of so much wonderful teaching. I love reading. I read a lot of books. I know there's lots of you who listen to podcasts or watch shows and, and, uh, with good biblical teaching, and that's all wonderful. It's a real blessing. But the danger of those things is that we, don't have, we have that without relationship. And the Bible says it's important that you have people in your life who are in relationship with you, and you can see the gospel lived out in, the in their life. You can see the outcome of their life. You can see their life, and then you can imitate their faith, which is more than saying that you can listen to what they say and then try to apply it. You see how a life is lived, and you can imitate that type of lifestyle that's honoring to Jesus. 
we have that responsibility to one another, that we look at our lives and we glorify God for what we see doing in our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, Lord, that's the kind of humility I'd like to have. That's the kind of patience I'd like to have or mercy. And we imitate the faith because we see it being lived out in others to the glory of Jesus Christ. The issue is all our leaders and all people who are more mature than us, they will fall at some point. They won't always be a good example. But that's why Hebrews reminds us that Jesus Christ is the key leader. He's the the leader. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Jesus never fails. So get to know Jesus, and you will have the foundation that you need to become mature. So... It's important for us to realize that infancy is beautiful, but we can't stay there. We need to mature in the help and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, When I was a child, I I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put those childish things behind me. And we need to get to that place in life where we say, Yeah, you know what? I'm more mature than this. I need to be able to let some of these childish behaviors go and choose maturity, choose righteousness, choose to love the way God would want me to. So the good question is, well, what does maturity look like? Uh, As a church, our, our motto, our purpose is to nurture followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationships. And we have talked a lot about what are healthy relationships, relationships that are are based in Jesus, that flow down to our families, to our church family, to our neighborhoods, to to the cultures around us. Those are healthy relationships. But what does it look like to nurture a follower? What does it look like to move from infancy towards maturity? Those are things that we need to really consider as a church. And so if you take the handout that you were given in the bulletin today and you turn over to where it says the personal notes, you're going to see the outline of a continuum that we've developed to help us think through what does it look like to move from infancy to maturity. And I'm going to quickly uh, take you through that today, and and I hope that this will be a help for us in this journey towards growth. So on the initial side of the arrow is the phrase from infancy. And in infancy, we rely a lot on the experiences that we have, the practices that we put in place in our faith. And as we mature, what happens is a lot of those things that were one time practices, they become second nature. They become our, our lifestyle. And, and so that's the continuum of, of things that we're learning to do to things that just naturally flow out of us. And the first thing that we need to know and to acknowledge is that if we're a follower of Christ, if we're asked, what does it mean to be a Christian? The first thing that needs to come out of our mouth is that it has to do with Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to do with church attendance or Bible reading or prayer, although those are all essential things. It has to do with the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he has done for us. And the beauty of the gospel isn't just that someday when I die, I can go to heaven and spend eternity with him. The beauty of the gospel is that Christ invites me into life with him now, and he says that he will change me to become like him, that I can mature into Christ's likeness. That's the hope I have this side of heaven. I am becoming like Jesus. Our church is becoming like Jesus by the grace of the Holy Spirit as we obey him if we don't stay in infancy. So what are some of the other qualities that would help kind of flesh out what that means? Two weeks ago, Terry showed the first part of this, and the first one is character. God changes our character. He transforms us. He makes us into new people. 
And of course, that's for us individually, but that's really for us as a church. We as a church are new people, a new people together. And our character changes. It has to change if Christ is in it. And when I first come to Christ, I might notice a few of the areas that are definitely not in line with who God is. And, and I can actually make some changes in there. At least I feel I'm making those changes. It's, it's always God who does the change. But as I mature, I realize that God isn't satisfied with just little part, parts of me changing. He wants the whole thing. God doesn't say, give me 75% of your life and do what the rest you want, or 65. God says, I gave you everything. I am, I've given you all of me. I require all of you. That involves your mannerisms, your body language, how you think, how you feel. All those things belong to God. And as I mature, those things end up reflecting him. Last week, Kevin mentioned that the other stage, another stage is community. That when I give my life to Christ, I become part of a fellowship. I've given my life to Jesus and all those who belong to him. I have a place to belong. This is my community. And as I mature, I realize that there's also a depth called koinonia. In the Bible, there's this word koinonia that I can grow into. The, the way that we've explained this word is that it's an intimate participation in Christ-honoring fellowship. That's a mouthful. But what it means is that you're inviting people to speak truth and love into your life. You're saying, I can't mature without you. It's not enough for us to come and worship on Sundays. I need you in my life. I need you to speak truth into my life. I want to do the same for you. Our lives become more and more somewhat intertwined in a healthy way, in a God-honoring way. And I want to share with you the, the three other uh, continuums that we're thinking are helpful for us to understand maturity. And the first is service. When I first come to know Christ, I, I start to realize after a while that God can use me to bless others. And I, I try to figure out what are my gifts, what are my talents, where can I fit in at the church, and I serve in different places. But as I mature in my faith, I realize that I am called to servanthood, that I am called to wherever I am to be doing all things for the glory of God. So it doesn't matter what my task is. It matters that I do it for his glory. And God in his grace can take a mundane task and all of a sudden make something fantastic happen because in that task you talk with someone and all of a sudden it's a divine moment talking about Jesus Christ where a life changes directions and gets pointed towards him. And then we have gratitude. Of course, when I first get to know God, there's a lot of things that I can be grateful for. I can be grateful that my sins are forgiven, that I have the assurance of my salvation, that he, I have a relationship with him, with God. I can have a relationship with him. And I have these experiences of gratitude. I come to church and I have times of worship where we get together and we sing praise and worship to God. But as I mature in my faith, I realize that, again, all of my life is meant to praise him. Very similar to servanthood, but this is even more saying that I do this. I praise God in spite of circumstances, in the midst of my circumstances. If my circumstances are easy or if my circumstances are hard, I praise God because I know that he is sovereign and I know that he is worthy of praise. And finally, we have witness. In my in, in infancy, I realized all of a sudden, I, 
I have the responsibility, I have the privilege of sharing my life with others. So I might take an evangelism class and I look for opportunities to, to share my faith with other people so they can know Jesus as I do and say how much I love him. And, and that's a beautiful part of infancy that people are just exuberant about sharing Christ with others. But as we mature, what we realize is, is it has to do more with, with fruitfulness. That we as individuals and we as the church are the temple of God in a very special way. The Holy Spirit is doing things in our lives and in our midst that we're not always even aware of. That all fruitfulness relies on God. It's not so much about what I choose to do and how is this going to go and what are the results. God is always doing something for his glory through our lives. He's the one who bears fruits. My role is to what? abide in Christ, and he will cause the fruit. In our day and age, I think it's quite often that we try to get fruit for God. This is what fruit looks like. I should live this way. And, and we forget that God says, no, abide in me, and I will cause the fruit. So this is a framework of thinking about maturity in Christ. And I wouldn't hope that any of you would memorize this, but what I would hope is that this sort of provides a framework for you to start talking about your faith and thinking about your faith. What has God been doing in your life since the day you met him? That when you have a chance to talk with brothers and sisters and exhort them towards Christ-likeness, when you meet people who don't yet know Jesus and they ask, what does he mean to you? That you can think through these kind of things in your life and say, this is who Jesus is and this is how I have the assurance of my salvation because I have seen him doing this in us and in our church. It's important. One of the things babies don't do is talk. They kind of babble. They make sounds. Every now and then they get a few words. We're, we're, we're just ecstatic when they put, uh, you know, you hear one solid word, daddy, mommy, food, right? When, but when you start getting sentences together and it's like two words, three words, that's great. Part of maturing in our faith is that we can, we can express what, who Christ is well and what he's been doing in our life. We can do that adequately. We can do that well because we've known Christ deeply. So Paul says in Ephesians 15 that the main way of our maturing is going to be by speaking truth and love to one another. Instead, speaking the truth and love, we will in all things grow up into him who is ahead, that is Christ. So truth and love is hugely important. We've heard this phrase a number of times throughout this last year, and the acknowledgement that one without the other is dangerous. I uh, have been sitting in my my den the last little while looking at my yard outside and the grass is turning green and I'm like oh finally it looks nice and green and right across the street is a forest and the trees are dead looking like they look like winter is still here and it's quite the contrast and I thought you know this is an appropriate illustration of truth and love in some ways uh, truth can be like a tree in winter time it's stern it looks kind of cold and foreboding but it's it's strong it's there. That's what truth is. It's like the bare branches of winter. But love, love is the things that soften it up, that help beautify it. It's like the green leaves that come on the tree. And when they're together, they work really well. Uh, again, if you don't have leaves, the tree looks cold. If you don't have the branches, well, the trees, the leaves just fall down. They're dead. They look nice for a little while, but then that's it. <laughs> we need truth and love together. That's, that's the only way that they belong. So truth is hard if it's not softened by love. Love is soft if it's not strengthened by the truth. So truthing in love. Uh, the Greek word is eleithiontis, 
And in most of our Bibles, it says speaking the truth. But in Greek, it actually just means truthing. It includes speaking, but it also includes living. It includes doing. It makes it a little bit broader. So what we're called to do is truthing in love with one another. And uh, so that, that involves our entire being. And that's important for us to realize is that truth is displayed through our loving actions, the way that we treat people when we're not even expressing words. So it's also important to realize that if we're going to grow in our ability to do that, we need to grow in our knowledge of the one who is the source of love, who is the source of truth, and that, of course, is Jesus. Um, Mark mentioned during the announcements, at least in the first service he did, about 1 Corinthians 13, which talks all about love and what love is. There's many different places that we can look to get an understanding of what, what defines love, because in our culture, we don't have a good understanding of the word love. 1 Corinthians says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude. Love is not self-seeking nor easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and it never fails. So of course, saying that Jesus is the source of love, this is true of Jesus. So when we're talking about how do we truth in love, well, whatever we know the truth to be, we know that these are the kind of qualities that are necessary in order for it to be received in the way that God would want it to be received or given in that way. Most of these qualities are fairly pleasant. Who wouldn't want to be kind? Who wouldn't want to be patient? But what do you do with does not delight in evil? What do you do with that when there's sin and it should anger us? It should make us angry when we see something happening that takes people away from Jesus that is destroying their lives. How do I truth and love when there's evil involved? And, and protecting. Protecting isn't always an easy thing either. How do I know to do that well? Because I see that this person's life is going down a wrong path. How do I protect them? And how do I do that in truth and love? This is where love becomes tough because, man, if, if I don't have advice from the Holy Spirit, if I don't listen to him and obey him, I'll, I'll approach it wrong. Proverbs has a bunch of wisdom on truth and love together. One of them is Proverbs 27, verse 5. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. This means there are times where we see someone living life in a way that is causing them destruction. Their life is going farther away from Jesus, and we know it. We know that something needs to be said, and yet we don't because we're scared. Because we love them, we don't want our relationship to be distanced from them. And we don't know how to handle it. It's a very sincere and hard struggle when we see that happening in life. And we don't know what to do. And the Bible says it's better that you have a, a loving rebuke than that you hide that love. Because it's not going to help them. It's only going to bring destruction. Proverbs 27 verse 3 says that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but kisses from an enemy are excessive. What this means is that I need people in my life that when they hurt me, I trust that, first of all, that they love Jesus and they love me so that when they hurt me, it's for my good. One of my big learning curves was taking these verses away from me being the one who's giving the truth and love and saying, yeah, I have to have the courage to do that, to be realizing that I need to have the courage to receive it. I need people in my life who I trust and I love and, and I, if they wound me, that I say, Lord, thank you for a friend who's willing to wound me so that I can mature. 
in our culture, my professor said, we've, we've reversed this verse and we, we treat our friends like enemies. We, we kiss our friends all the time and we're not willing to wound them because we're scared of what that might do to our relationship. And by that, we lessen our relationship and we don't honor God. So I'd encourage you, invite people to speak truth into your life. Don't just let it happen and be willing to receive it. Invite people to do it because we don't mature if we don't have people like that in our lives. Iron sharpens iron. We need people who help us live life well and see life as Christ does. And I can tell you there's quite often when my life, my mind will go off of the way Christ wants and I need someone else to bring me back in line and say, Doug, you know what? When you're talking about that person, it doesn't quite sound the way Christ would want you to talk about that person. Something needs to be readjusted. So some examples of truthing and love. The first one that came to mind to, for me was Jethro and Moses. Moses was working day and night, groups of people all around him looking for wisdom from God, saying, Moses, will you discern for us what we should do and judge how we should move on from here? And so Moses was doing that all the time. Jethro's his father-in-law. Jethro comes and says, Moses, what are you doing? Moses says, well, I'm teaching the people how to know about righteousness, and I'm looking to God for their answers, and then I tell them how they should live. And Jethro says, well, that's not good. That's going to burn you out. That's not good for you. It's not good for the people. Everybody is getting exasperated. That, that doesn't work. What you need to do, if this is God's wisdom, follow it. What you need to do is find people who will look after a 1,000, after 500, after 50s and 10s. Have them give the discernment to people. And if there's really other big cases, bring them to you. Moses thankfully listened to that. And that's eventually how things became healthier for Israel to discern the voice of God and to have other leaders who are also responsible for guiding people. <clears throat> the next illustration that came to me was the life of Jesus and Peter. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's openly telling his disciples now that he's going to go through trials. He's going to be, he's going to be, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and three days later he's going to raise again. Peter, and I believe this was in love, took Jesus' side and rebuked Jesus for what he was saying. I, I believe he probably did that with a very loving intent. Jesus looks at Peter, then looks away and says, Get behind me, Satan, for you have the thoughts of man and not the thoughts of God. Real love will always get us pointed towards God, not our own thoughts. So perspective is hugely important when we talk about truth and love. So quite often people need advice when they're going through seasons of change. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe you've just become a new mom. Maybe you're just finishing school and you don't know what you want to do next. So what does love look like when you're going through transitions? Well, if the greater your perspective, the greater your love. So if you're just talking with someone about now, and now could be like, say, from a week to five years, your love will only be kind of this big. This sounds like a good idea for you for the next five years. Or the ne that sounds like a good way to live your life. If you really love someone, or even a little bit more, what you're going to say is, well, what about your whole life? What do you hope to do with your life? Do you want to be a, you want to be a father? Is this the type of career you want? If you want that kind of career, you need to make these kind of decisions. Then you help people see bigger, and then they might make different sacrifices now for long-term enjoyment. But if you truly love people, you point them towards Jesus and eternity. You say, have you thought about what God would want you to do in this season of life? And have you been thinking about how that might impact your life 
for, for your whole life on earth and for eternity? Have you been thinking about the treasures that you're storing up in heaven for the glory of God? That's huge. Real love always points people towards Jesus. In our passage today, oh, I didn't show you that last point, so there you go. <laughs> that's the, that's, so it's the, the bigger the perspective, the bigger the love. So what we need to remember as we get on to our last point, we talk about the importance of the body and each member, is that the body is only important because it has a head. If it didn't have a head, the body's dead. And so the most important thing is Christ, because the Bible tells us that he is the head. That was the last part of verse 14. It is, Christ is the head. And then it's from him, from him that the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. All growth derives from Christ. We have a part to play. We need to, we need to give our, our effort into submitting to God so that he can mature us, but it is he who gives the growth. Um, over the last 12 weeks, we've been teaching a class here at church called Who I Am in Christ. And we've been teaching that there's at least there's four core things to our faith that we need to understand is true for every believer and has to shape our identity so that we can live out our lives well for Christ. And one of those things was that we are unique and we're unified as believers in Jesus Christ. The phrase that we use to summarize it is your uniqueness in Christ is made possible by and enhanced through being unified with other believers. This is important. In this world, we try to define who we are sometimes by pulling away from things and saying, who am I? And when I figure that out, then I can kind of put that back in and I'm secure enough now that I can be myself. I, I figured out who I am. The Bible says it doesn't work that way. You want to know who you are? You're part of a body. You've got to figure out who you are by being in that body. And when you're in it, you'll find out that you're unified with people who are quite different than you, but together you make one body. <clears throat> Last week... Um, oh, one step back, a few weeks ago, Pastor Terry talked about the isms in life, the things that we rely on, uh, our viewpoint in life. So consumerism and individualism is another one. And so sometimes what happens in our body is even though we're unified, we still kind of lean towards individualism. We, we think about life for ourselves, not so much about life with each other for the glory of Christ. And when we think that way, we cause tension in the church. But when we're thinking in a healthy way that we are individuals, we foster unity that celebrates uniqueness. So that means that I'm an individual. That's important for me. Our lives aren't just meshed together that I don't know who I am when you're beside me. No, we, we're individuals. But we only get to see our distinctness as we live together. So let me hopefully clarify this a little bit with a picture. Last week, uh, Kevin mentioned about the beauty of an orchestra. And this is really the beauty of music. When, when you just have a song, you can just sing it by yourself, but isn't there something more beautiful when someone comes and sings a part? When someone else comes and plays an instrument? And all of a sudden, when you're a part of an orchestra, you can say, wow, we are unified. We're playing the same song, but I totally understand that I'm a violin. I totally understand that I'm a unique part in this. And I only understood that when I heard the other people. That's something to celebrate. That's why we need the church. So in Christ, it's true that diversity does not divide us, but rather it's essential to unity. We need to be different. What would the body be if everybody was a hand or everybody was a foot or an eye? It just doesn't work. 
So we only discover our uniqueness when we're in unity with other believers. Now, sometimes someone will fall asleep and they're not playing their part. There's other people who bring a deck of cards and they're playing a game and they're not really helping play the music. They're distracting other people. And then there's some people who might be playing the most beautiful music in the world, but their face doesn't know it, right? And so this is the kind of illustration that, you know, but this is the music that's being played. This is the orchestra. In a similar way, we are the church, and we're not perfect. There's things about us that don't reflect Christ well, but as a whole, more than not, we reflect the person of Jesus Christ, especially if we're maturing. And that's why Peter, Paul says, please don't stay in your infancy. You can't stay in your infancy. You need to mature and show that God is real, that Christ is real. So this brings us to the last part of the passage of verse 16, that all this stuff takes place in love. Love is the means of growth, and love is also the fruit of growth. And so this, if we go back now to the, the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 4, we read these words. God chose you to be his people. And this is the you meaning the you all, the all you all, right, that, that Terry mentioned a few weeks ago. He chose you to be his people. So I tell you now to live the way that God's people should live. Always be humble, always be gentle, be patient and accept each other with love. For you are joined together by peace through the Spirit. Do all that you can to continue in this way together. Guys, we are the body of Christ. This is us. We need to sincerely ask God to continually mature us and submit to him. So as we close the service, I have three questions that I just want you to maybe write down to reflect on at a later time. First of all, how have you seen Christ mature us as a church family? In your time here, how have you seen what God is doing grow us more to be like Christ? Another important question is, in what ways are we just perpetual infants? Are there some things that we're just not maturing in that we need to acknowledge and surrender to God and say, God, do your work here because we've been holding you back? Second question, how willing are you to live out the truth for others, the truth in love for others? And the next question is, how willing are you to receive it? I'd encourage you, don't be so willing to give it if you haven't yet become willing to receive it. Once you become good receivers, you'll be good givers. And the last question, what is your part in the body of Christ and how are you fostering the body's growth? Each one of us is an important part of this church family. God has said it so. And if you're not functioning, if we're not functioning well, our body isn't healthy. So what is your part, and how is the church being fostered by your involvement? So with that, I'm going to invite the worship team up, and we're going to close our service together in a time of song. So.